Good morning, church. Our scripture reading comes from Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, it truly is good to be here as a church family this morning. Uh, thank you for each one on the field. Thank you for each one up top in the building. Thank you for each one uh, streaming online at home. Uh, Father, we, we give you thanks for the, the technology that we, we find available to us in you know, this uh, strange time that we live in. And Father, we do pray that through your grace, through your mercy, you would, you would allow this, uh, this pandemic to, to end. And, and Father, you, you, know, you know that it's disrupted life, and, and sometimes that's good and that's necessary. And, and Father, we know that you have a perfect plan in all of this, but uh, we ask, Lord, we plead upon your mercy that you would end it by your good grace. But Father, may we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through it and through the various trials that, that we are having, not only as, as families or individuals, but even as a church as well. Uh, help us, Father. Help us to, to remain unified, as we've sung this morning, to remain uh, connected even when it is more difficult to be connected. And so, Lord, help us with all of those things. Father, thank you for the, the, the ones who are rejoicing right now because certain trials in their life are, are, are behind them. Thank you for seeing them through, and thank you for, uh, for how you've matured them in their faith through it. But Lord, we also know that there are many who are beginning trials and are in the midst of trials, and, and that is, that's difficult, Father, but help them not to go it alone. Uh, Lord, help them to remember that not only you are there, you never leave, you never forsake, but but also they have a, a church family as well that they can, they can reach out to, uh, that, they, that has a listening ear. And Father, I pray that we would be encouragement to all those that are finding themselves in difficulty in these days. Father, help us as we look at this 133rd Psalm. Uh, Lord, it, it's short, but it's, it's packed full of, of what we need to, to hear, uh, not only in our church, but in in our world as well. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, children, time for you to go to junior church and the junior church prep year as well. And I should probably say good morning since I haven't done that yet. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. And if I can't see you, good morning to you as well. I'm going to be taking uh, next week off just for your uh, information, and so uh, don't worry. We have the church office. Pastor Jamika will be there as well, so if you, if you need something, you know, he's available for you. All right, let's get going this morning. Unity. Unity is our big topic this morning, and unity in our world today seems like a bit of a unicorn. Right? We, we know what it is, and we want to see it, but 
we can never seem to find it. Right, why, why, why is that? Why is that? It's not because it doesn't exist, right, like the unicorn. Culture has, has widely shifted from, from a mindset of community toward a mindset of individualism. And this is not a new phenomenon. In 1971, the book entitled The Greening of America, The Coming to a New Consciousness and the Rebirth of a Future, author Charles Reich wrote this. Modern living has obliterated neighborhood and given us the anonymous separateness of our existence. America has become one vast, terrifying anti-community. That was, that was somebody's observations back in the beginning of the 70s. Right? The reality is only amplified today, especially with the prevalence of the internet. Right? You no longer have to, to leave your home even to socialize, and, and you can be very selective with, with your circles in, in regard to who you make contact with. Right? With the internet, you can have friends that, that only agree with your point of view, even if your point of view is very, very narrow. People People don't know how to deal with, with those who don't agree with them anymore. And, and that's brought about this, this new cancel culture that we're experiencing as well. Loyalty seems to be a thing of the past. Loyalty to family, school, businesses, neighborhood, and country has been replaced with loyalty to self. Right? The, the, the slogan you know, used to be for God and country. It's, it's now been replaced for be true to yourself. And all of this makes unity within society difficult. Even the church has not escaped this new cultural reality. Church used to be the place where, where the most fellowship occurred or, or community happened. But now it's, it's often seen, church is often seen as, as transactional in nature. Right? Here, here's your music. Here's your message, and if you don't like them, we'll try to do better next time. See you next week. Hopefully. But all this focus and attention towards self has, has not made things more healthy in society or the church. So I guess God was right when he said, it's not good for mankind to be alone. So let's look at this brief psalm and see what we can learn about unity. And the structure of this psalm is very simple, right? It's, it's a premise followed by two pictures, right? One premise followed by two pictures. So this is the premise, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. All right, so the context of unity here is, is brothers, okay? When brothers dwell in unity. But, but we've got to go to the culture at that time to pick up what this means for us, right? The nation of Israel dwelt in areas associated with their tribe or family line. So this concept of brothers is more than sort of the immediate home, just your immediate family. It also extends to the community that they lived in. And that's, that's the context that we have to think about it in, the community that we live in. 
And this word good here, right? Behold how good and pleasant it is. This word good sticks out because that same word is repeated in the second verse. And this is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1. When God created in the beginning, he declared everything he did as good. Unity and harmony was, was disrupted upon humanity's rebellion against God's good rule. Everything was good because it, it was made by God, and it was exactly what he intended. That's that meaning of good here. And, and I think we get that concept, don't we? Like if you, if you buy a really good paintbrush, then it's implied that, that that instrument works really well for its intended purpose of, of painting. If someone asks you, is, is that a good paintbrush? You know, we know what it means. You know, it, it does really well in what it was intended to do. Yeah, yeah man, it cuts, it cuts great. Great for the corners, too. So that's what this meaning of the word good is, right? It's, it's, not, it's sort, not sort of a moral idea. It's, it's a conceptual idea in its intention. Unity is what God intended for people from the beginning. That's the way it's supposed to be. Unity with one another is described as also as pleasant or, or delightful, right? Delightful, so this isn't just like the, the you know, a double adjective kind of thing, you know, good and delightful or pleasant meaning the same thing. Good has a different meaning, or delightful has a different meaning than good. If something is pleasant or delightful, it, it satisfies our desire. We have a feeling of, of ease and satisfaction when we experience a, a unity within, within the home or within the workplace. And then the opposite is true when we experience strife because, because that feels uncomfortable, right? That, that feels stressful. So, so, here's, so there's the premise, right? Unity with one another is what God intended and what we desire. Now let's get into that first of the two pictures or illustrations that help us to, to visualize the goodness and pleasantness of unity among people. The first picture is oil, but not just oil, good oil. Right? This, again, the psalmist David here wants us to focus on that word good, and that's why it's repeated here. It might be translated as something different in your Bible, but it's the same word. Right? How good and pleasant it is in verse 1, and, and it's like good oil. So let's, let's read that, that verse to get the picture. Verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. I can picture that. Can you picture that? It's, it's, it's quite, quite a vivid picture. The... The good oil is, is, on, is on the head, it starts on the head, and, and it runs down on, onto the beard, and it's Aaron's beard, we're told, and running down onto the collars of his, his robe. 
the, the really helpful clue here is the name Aaron that's inserted. Aaron was the, the first high priest of the nation of Israel. All the other priests come through his family line. And so now we see why this oil was good. It was a special oil. It, it, was, it was the mixture of olive oil and, and, and different kinds of spices. This, it's to, if you want to read about what was actually in it, you can look at Exodus chapter 30. But this is what God, this is the, the oil, the mixture that God prescribed to, to anoint the tabernacle and everything within the tabernacle, right? That's, that was the, the nation of Israel's place of worship. And, and also the, the priests themselves. Right? It was blended by the ones in, in Israel who, who made perfume. So it was quite aromatic. Right? When, you, when you opened up that, that jug and poured it, you, you, you would be able to smell it. Right? And the recipe for this anointing oil couldn't be copied. Right? You, you couldn't make knockoffs and sell them. This could only be used for God's intended purposes. Now we see the connection with the word good, right? It, it's good in that it was made for an intended purpose. Anything this fragrant oil was poured over was what God intended to be used in the structure of Israel's worship. So again, it, it is God's intended purpose for marriages and families and neighborhoods and workplaces to dwell in unity. But from our observation and experience, that doesn't happen because we're always dealing with some sort of strife, aren't we? Unity and harmony was disrupted when sin entered the world. But, but why, why is that? Why is the rejection of God linked to the breakdown of unity? You could jump over to the book of James with me. We could get some good insight from the author. James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Right? When, my, when my desires rise above God and everyone else, I am in the position to rebel against God and against others. Right? Sin is, is the exaltation of self. Look, look at this in James chapter 4. Right? There, there's, there's, the, there's this strife going on there. And... And when our desires rule, we can't, we can't have unity. And the problem is we're constantly battling that. He says, where, where, do, where do wars come? Where do these disputes come among you? Don't they come from those desires that are, that are raging war within you? That's the problem. That's why we struggle with maintaining harmony and unity. But let me go back to James chapter 1 again. Verse 16. 
Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. In other words, you, you can't achieve anything good and lasting by, by chasing your own desires apart from God. Good and lasting things originate from God, and that includes unity. That's the action and repetition found in, in the second verse of our psalm. Right? The oil is running down or descending or coming down. Right? The oil starts on the head. It comes down to the beard. It comes down further to the collar. Same, same verb used. You can strive all you want for unity, and you might reach some, some measure of it, but you'll never see it full and lasting because there's this internal strife going on within us, like a war, and until we find peace there, we will continually fail in finding and keeping it anywhere else. We need unity to come down to us because that's where it needs to start if we're to achieve anything else. We have to start with our relationship with God. Jesus Christ came down to reconcile us to God. Right? Relationship with God can only come from above, from God. That's where it has to come from. We'll get back to that, but let's, let's continue on by looking at the second picture. The third verse, the first part of the third verse. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. So the picture is dew, mountain dew. Particularly mountain dew from Hermon, Mount Hermon. That's a high mountain north of Israel. Right? You know, it's, it's so high that you, you'd have snow on the top of it. Dew on Mount Hermon that falls onto the smaller mounts of Zion, where Jerusalem is. There's, there's the picture. Once again, we, we have the same word being used, descends or comes down, or translated here in the ESV, falls. There, there's, there's the common action between the two pictures, coming down, right? Oil comes down, dew comes down. So again, the good and pleasant unity is pictured as coming down from God. It's, it's, it's a strong picture. It's, it's the strong emphasis of this psalm, the source of harmony the source of unity is from God. It originates from Him. And so we can't really truly achieve it like we want it without Him. You know, I, I think we like this picture of, of sweet-smelling, refreshing unity. But we also know it's hard to achieve in this life. Jesus Christ brings us unity with God, but Christ is also the beginning of our path to unity with one another. But how? 
Well, the first way is that Christ gives us commonality. The other nations of the day had many gods that they served and worshipped. This idea of only one God was, was a big distinction between Israel and the other nations. Who you worshipped and served was clear to the people of Israel. Right? Your, your neighbor wasn't serving another God if, if they were an Israelite. They were serving the same God. That was the commonality. Despite having all the other differences of personality and, 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 and other things like that, occupation, they always had this commonality, one true God. The same is true for us as, as a church. We have the commonality of only one God and only one way to God, Jesus Christ. Not only do we have this belief in Christ, but each one of us as believers have Christ himself within us. Right? So it's, it's stronger than, than belief. It's, it's Christ in us. So think about that. It's not just we have the same sort of conceptual ideas, but, but the same God who loves me and died for me, dwells in me, and if you're a believer, he dwells in you too. That's, that's a powerful, powerful thing for unity. The Bible says that, that marriage is like a picture of this, right? The, the two people joining to become one. Right? We, we enter into a union with Jesus Christ when we commit to Christ as our God, as our eternal king, as our rescuer. So, so again, this is, this is big because not only do we have the same convictions as other believers, but we also have the same God within each of us, leading us and convicting us and growing us and wanting us to dwell in unity together. So, if that's the case, what gets us off track? What gets us off track to, to living in harmony with one another, particularly as a, as a church family? These, these can be extrapolated to society as well, you know, because, because God's word is good for not just the church, it's good for, for all of life. But to do that, I'm just going to look at this first church that's described in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they majored on the majors, right? Majoring on the minors kills unity, right? They devoted themselves to what matters most. Fellowship, that's, that's close association with one another, the apostles' teaching, that's, that's sound doctrine, what was true and right. And prayer, praying, not only individually, but together, corporately. These were the important things, so, so they majored on them. These were the important things, so this is what is mentioned. Were there minor things? Yes, there were minor things. But they're not mentioned here in Acts chapter 2 because they were minor. 
and they were majoring on the majors. Right? We, we tend to make little things into big things, and we have to resist that temptation. Not, not only in our church, but, but in our families, in, in our workplaces as well. Verse 44 of Acts chapter 2 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So failing to meet together kills unity. Right? There, there is a corporate sense here, but also a private sense. It, it happened within their homes as well. Right? You, you can't grow in unity if you don't spend time together. It's pretty simple. Acts 2.46 says, They received their food with, with glad and generous hearts. Right, so they were thankful, and a lack of thankfulness kills unity. Right, thankfulness is, is like this, this spiritual gauge in your life. And when we aren't thankful, we, we complain. And that, and that only repels people. It doesn't, it doesn't bring people closer together. It doesn't promote wanting to be together. And fourthly, Forgetting our first love kills unity. Just like a marriage, we can grow cold in our love toward our spouse. We can kind of take them for granted. And it's because we can become familiar with them and, and fail to remember that the love we had at first. In the first church, we're told that awe came upon every soul. Right? We, we have to remember why we come to church. It, it's because Jesus loves us and we want to grow more in love with him. Right? Re remember that, mom and dad, when you're bringing your kids to church. Don't say, well, that's what we do every Sunday. Give them the reason behind that. Yeah, we want to build a habit, a good and godly habit. But, but we also want to remind them that because Jesus loves us and we want to grow in that love. So Jesus Christ leads us to unity by giving us a, a commonality and an example. Christ demonstrates love to us. Real unity can't exist where selfishness thrives. And this goes back to the problem with individualism, right? Exalting of self can't promote unity. Christ came down not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ came to save us, but also to give us the example that we desperately need. The night before Jesus died, he, he took the role of the least of servants within that culture and washed the feet of his disciples. This, this wasn't ceremonial. right? This, this was a sandal-wearing you know, dirt road culture, and feet got nasty, really dirty. 
And Jesus tells us exactly why he did it in John chapter 13. In verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. It's, it's about practicing service over self. But the problem is we, we want to serve self. We can only follow this example if we, if we understand the service that has been done to us by Christ himself. Christ didn't wash our feet, but Christ gave his perfect life in exchange for our sinful life. He went from the palace of heaven to the slums of the earth. He, as, a, as the king of all kings, took on the form of a slave and humbled himself to the point of death, even the most cruel form of death, crucifixion. He did it all to reconcile you to God. You could never do anything like it in return to anybody else. The, the bar is so high, you can never go over it in your service to other people. True love is about sacrifice, and Jesus loved you more than anyone else ever could. Now, if you're, if you're married, remember when you first fell in love? That person could ask you to do anything, and you would do it with exuberance. When, when we remember and grow in that, in, the, in that love that Christ has for us, we can't help but to, but to serve others in the way that he showed us. And that will, bring, that will bring real unity within our marriages, our families, our workplaces, and our churches. You know, unity is not something that is easily obtained in this fallen world that we live in. But when we strive for it with our eyes fixed on Christ, we are, as we're commanded to do, we are told in the last line of this psalm that the Lord has commanded the blessing. He says there's blessing in it when you, achieve, when you try to achieve this. Through Christ, right? He wants it for you, even in this fallen world. Right? We want it. God wants it. With Christ, we can get it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief psalm, but thank you for the richness that's found in it. And Father, may those, may those pictures of, of the oil, the fragrant oil running down the, the, the head and beard and collar of the priest and, and the dew coming off of the mountain, the high mountain, the cool, refreshing dew coming off that high mount onto the lowly, dusty mounts. Lord, may, may those pictures just stay with us. 
and remind us how we should strive after this unity. And thank you that we can have it when we remember the love of Christ. The love of Christ that, that compels us to, to serve others in the same kind of way that he has served us. We, we can never go over the bar, but Lord, how we should try to, how we should try to reach for it. Knowing that, that you dwelling within us give us the strength and power that we need to truly accomplish it, even in the un, imperfect way that we do. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.